Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So Onyx, one of the features I want to talk to you today within the Hunt app is the tracking feature. So when you turn on the tracking feature, it will do just as it's described. It will track your, your, your walking, anything that you're doing. And how I'm specifically using it and used it twice this past week was to use it for blood trailing. You can turn it on from the beginning and say you have a not so great shot or something that's you know going to require you falling a little bit longer. You can kind of see the trend, how the deer's running, how he's you know going away, where he's bedding. You can get some points together and be able to do that. You can share those tracks just as well as waypoints with any of your friends, fellow hunting partners, whatever that may be. And so within the hunt app, check out the, the tracking feature. If you want to check out the hunt app for yourself, head over to onxmaps.com, use a coupon code EMW that'll save you 20% off of the app. Maven Optics. So Maven Optics has come out with the highest quality optics available at half the price of their competitors all through their direct to consumer business model. And so what some of the ones that I highlights I want to talk about within Maven is their B3 series binoculars. We're in the middle of the whitetail rut and I think that's a, the B3 series is my favorite one for hunting whitetails. It's very small, packable, fit in the side cargo pocket of your pants. I usually put them in there while I'm climbing up the tree so it's not banging off the sticks and then throw it around your chest, have it available at all times. I don't know how many times before I used to hang my binos on, you know, say a hook or something on the side of the tree, and they're never easily available when you need them. So being able to have something nice, lightweight, and compact, compact around your chest is great. So if you head over to mavenbelt.com, you can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT and get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. The University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have come out with the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. And one of the things that in addition to the the online course is dropping today, actually, the Destination Elk V2 is available on YouTube where Corey and his team are going to be releasing videos going through their whole western elk hunting experience from this past year there's a lot of learning uh experiences there it's entertaining the whole the whole series is going to be something that you want to check out and then if you want to learn more and more detail about elk hunting check out the university of elk hunting at elk101.com use the coupon code east meets west that will save yourself 20 percent off of the online course all right, so this episode is a special one. This is the hundredth episode. Can't believe that uh, that I made it this far, and it's just been a crazy ride to be able to release a hundred episodes. Now it feels like just yesterday I had the you know the idea for the podcast and everything, and now we're here. 
So what I want to do and kind of a thanks to everybody for, you know, supporting the podcast and everything within that, I want to do some giveaways. So as you'll hear in this podcast is actually when the first one came about. And so Sick of Gear is going to donate a Fanatic jacket uh, to give away as well as Onyx is going to, they're going to donate a lifetime elite membership. So it does not expire that it's $99 a year. Normally you're able to get that for the lifetime just by doing a few simple things. So I'm going to outline a lot of the details and some posts on Instagram and Facebook. But for those of you that don't use social media, I have some other ways for you to enter. If you want to go over to iTunes uh, or wherever you're listening to the the podcast, then leave a rating and review. If you will do that, I'll be able to choose from those names, put them in the hat, and be able to draw for the winners of these, these, uh, I guess, giveaways. And... In addition to that, the ones that I'm going to be doing through social media. So pay attention to the posts coming up here. And then over the next couple of days, I'm going to have all the details there and how you can win the Fanatic jacket and an Onyx Elite membership for life. And I'm trying to get a few more things thrown in the mix here. Uh, I was a little late on getting this all pulled together with Whitetail season on my mind, but I think I can get a few other things given away, maybe some East Meets West apparel, some other stuff um, from some other companies here, hopefully. And I, I just want everyone to, you know, enter into this. And w- one thing I do want to say is if, say you do have social media, if you follow the directions on Facebook, you follow it on Instagram and you leave a rating and review, that's three separate chances you have to win one of the one of these items so feel free to enter into that and each one will count as a name in the hat so uh, i think that's a pretty cool thing that that uh, we're able to do here and definitely if you're a whitetail hunter the fanatic jacket is kind of the the piece that everybody wants to have for the cold weather hunts that we'll have coming up here so it's perfect time of year for that And so this podcast is with Chris Derrick from Sick of Gear and Dan Haruska, who is a photographer, videographer, producer. And so we sat down and talked here about our hunt. We recorded this in the middle of the hunt that we had over this last week, hunting mountain bucks in Pennsylvania, all public land, hanging hunt style. And we're going to do a, a follow-up follow up episode, Chris and I will, um, for the reason being is after we recorded this, Chris killed a buck on the last day. This was his first public land mountain buck and beautiful seven point that uh, he was able to, uh, he believes that he called it in. Um, it came in a little bit after he did a, a calling sequence and made a 25-yard shot on him and we recovered the uh, recovered it and it was also his first one out of the saddle so that was a a pretty neat experience all around um he was super pumped about it i was really pumped that he got to do that last morning got it all taken care of cut up and uh 
then he's off to the bow zone to hunt with Jim Hole Jr. and Classic Outfitters up there this this week as as this podcast gets released. So that hunt was such a learning experience. I mean, even for me, every year, you know, I, I hunt these mountain bucks and and this year, you know, I made it a goal to kind of do it in some new areas. And so where Chris killed his buck, I'd never hunted there before. It was a spot, actually, if anybody was uh, checking out, I think it was back in March, I did an Instagram takeover for Onyx, and it was from that scouting trip that Greg Litzinger and Johnny Stewart and I uh, found some of these spots, and that was one of those areas is where Chris killed his buck. So we, the week was, the week was tough. I mean, we found a lot of does and they just weren't ready yet. There was a couple small bucks checking them passed on a few eight points and just never, never got a chance at some of those real big old mountain bucks. So that was, that was tough. I mean, we, we had to keep, you know, changing, figuring out what the food is. The acorns were rotted on the tops. You know, it ended up finding some clear cuts that were the ticket. Um, it was just an overall great experience, great hunt. And so after they left Saturday, November 9th, I went out, uh, hunting by myself and had one of the best days that I've had in years as far as rut activity. I, it didn't start until about nine 30 in the morning. I had a doe come out and started well let me let me you know go back for here for a second so i'm running one of the exodus render cell cameras i have one of them have one spot that i have service that i can run a cell camera and the whole night before that there was a dope bedded right next to the scrape my cell cameras on my phone phone was just going off all night and it was a big doe and i'm like she's gotta be you know either coming into heat or in heat you know there's so I decided to go to that stand based on that data that I that I got from the cell camera. And there was no bucks on it. It was just it was just that doe. And I know if you can find the right doe at that time, you know, it was a complete gamble. I mean, the wind wasn't perfect for it, but um the the thermals really helped me out in the morning a little bit and I was set up right on the edge of where I know that that a bunch of does bed um, on a, there's a steep side hill with a bunch of hemlock trees. They seem to bed in there. And I was just on the edge of the top on the edge of a, a newer clear cut. And so I, I went in there and I didn't see a deer till nine 30 in the morning. Then all of a sudden I heard some stuff behind me and I heard a bleat and here comes this doe with a buck behind it and a pretty good eight point buck, three year old. So I was going to try to try to get a shot on him, but they just wouldn't, well, he would not come out of the thick stuff. I mean, just nasty, thick briars. And she came out in front of me about 34 yards and kind of was feeding around this little open field and browsing on twigs and everything else that they eat here. And then she took him back into the thick stuff and nothing happened there for a while. And then I heard some more commotion from the same direction and figured it was the same buck and doe and it ended up being a bigger buck probably a four or five year old eight point he came busting out and i went to full draw had him at 18 yards pin settled in on him but there was a bunch of blackberry briars kind of in the way 
and would it deflect my arrow? Maybe, maybe not. But I was like, he just needs two more steps and he's in this little opening and I'm going to shoot him there. Well, the doe changed directions and he changed direction, went straight away from me. So I had no shot and they disappeared into the thick stuff, but I didn't hear any more commotion. So I figured she bedded down and I just decided throw all the tricks I had and try to pull him off of that doe. So I started doing a bleeding grunting sequence to kind of mimic chasing going on. Just the, I just took, I just have one of the little Primos cans dumped it over twice uh, to make the bleat. And then I took my grunt tube and just just mimicking like a, a chasing sequence. And he circled around. I didn't know he was doing this, but he went through the thick stuff and circled around and was trying to come downwind to me. And he ended up coming out and he was kind of, um, a little bit, you know, he was up on a hill a little bit, kind of the same level of me came out and it's, it's a big, big deer. And he's looking, he starts putting his nose up in the air. He's catching probably a little bit of my wind. And at this point I'm full draw on him. So this is something that, uh, I guess is I'll probably be criticized for this. And I, you know, I accept that I'm very confident in, in my shooting abilities and practice for the shot. But anyways, I took a frontal shot on this deer out of a tree stand, which is something actually I talked about on the podcast with my dad a few episodes ago, and I don't take frontal shots out of a tree stand, but because of the way the steer was being, almost on the same level as me and he had his his front hoofs his front legs up on a little bank the angle just i could i could basically see right down in the body cavity and i knew i could fit an arrow in there at 25 yards so put it on him and pulled through shot executed just like is like butter like anything you could ever imagine and i watched the arrow go into him about i don't know two inches to the right from where I was aiming and about an inch low and passed through the buck took off running crashing through the brush and I was like all right he's, he's dead I you know I got him I made it through I didn't hit his shoulder I, I punched through that cavity and and was really confident about it and so I gave it some time and I got down and went and found my arrow and started blood trailing him and I started going got about hundred yards and he kept doing circles. I'm like, what is he doing? Doing figure eights. Cause where I'm hunting's really thick. So I can't see further than 50, maybe 55 yards in front of me. So he was out there a little ways and there was snow. So I made it a little bit quieter and he was chasing that doe again after he was shot. So I was like, all right, this isn't right. So I just gathered myself and backed out, went up and, Thinking about it with me shooting, hitting a little bit to the right, which I, th I thought I did. I'm not using nocturnals or anything, but I'm pretty sure I see my arrow go there. I was like, I might have only caught one lung, and that's not a very good situation. And that's one of the reasons why most people do not want to take the frontal shot. And it's very, I mean, very understandable. But if you can, if you can get in that gap, I mean, that's one of the most lethal shots you can possibly take. But, um, Anyways, I realized I definitely hit one lung and cause the blood I was finding did have bubbles in it. It was bright red, you know, lung, you, you could see he was spitting it out of his mouth. And 
So I figured, all right, he's not going to go, you know, terribly far. He's probably going to bed down. So I'm going to give him time. So I gave him six hours, went back in and started tracking him slowly going along. He's just moving, moving, moving. He went probably 400 yards before he bedded down again and, or bedded down for the first time. And there's blood filled up in his bed. He goes another 100 yards, bedded down again, bunch of blood. And then he bedded down two more times over a three-quarter of a mile stretch. And he's bleeding the whole time. I'm like, this buck is going to bleed out. He's got to be dead. And I got to the edge of this opening with some golden rods, and there was a pine tree there. And he jumps up and takes off. And I'm like, no. I oh, I was just you know sick to my stomach, that feeling watching him go. And so I knew I needed to back out. And I'm like, but he's hurt bad. So I'll come back in the morning. It's going to be really cold. Um, the snow's not going to melt. I'm not supposed to get any additional snow. I can get on his tracks again and do that. So came in Sunday morning. And since it's we can't hunt Sundays in Pennsylvania, I couldn't take my bow with me. So I just went in you know, looking to find him, got back on his track, followed him for another mile and a quarter. And he never bedded down. He was just dripping small drops of blood clotted up. And then I lost his blood once he got in some hemlocks and then it ended up, had a little crew together and myself and my dad. And we just grid searched the area for another six hours. I mean, we put on six miles just going back and forth, looking, checking the creek bottoms, checking the thick side hills, checking the clear cut, went through everything and could not find that deer. It's been a while since I've shot a whitetail with a bow and, and didn't recover it, and it makes me sick to my stomach. I'm really hoping that at this point that I just clipped that lung and – that he's going to be okay. You know, deer can live off of a one lung shot. I mean, most of the time they don't, but it it just makes me sick to my stomach about it. And, and so the only thing I can think of doing is really, I, I have one more. Well, by the time this release, I would have already done this, but I'll be hunting this Monday, which is November the 11th, have off for work as a holiday for veterans day. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to go into the same area and see if, if I can kill that deer again. Uh, he was chasing does on a doe the entire time we were blood trailing. There was another deer with him and he just, he was so fully rutted up. You could just smell it when you were around the area that he was where his beds were. It just was a just stinky, ruddy smell. And he's got to be there. He's in the area. Hopefully he's fine. Hopefully I can call him back in and get another shot at him. See what see what happens. I mean that's the only thing I can think of. Um, and the funny thing about his blood trail is, so I was talking about using Onyx for tracking, and he did a giant circle. So that big, you know, two and something mile loop that he did was all the way back around. He almost came back towards my stand. So he was coming back to the same area. And there's, there's a chance if, you know, there's a hot doe in there again tomorrow that I can get a, get a shot at him or Monday. I mean, so we'll, we'll give it, I'm going to give it another shot. Like I said, I'm sick to my stomach about it. It sucks, but sometimes that happens with bow hunting. And I, so I went, I went home 
and shot to figure out what was going on. And I realized that when I have a lot of clothes on, I was torquing my bow a little bit. And I, I've practiced with it, with clo- with heavier clothes on and stuff. But with all of that, changed my anchor point or as far as where my, my I'm shooting a thumb button release and I couldn't press it up against my chin. I have it up away from my face mask and everything. And there's some different you know things in there that was changing my form up just slightly. And I was shooting to the right. So I figured out how to you know, fix that and just really need to focus on that for the next opportunity when it's extreme, it's extremely cold weather like that. So, you know, that's on me. I take full, full responsibility for it. And I mean, when you're hunting these mountain bucks on public land like that, it, you don't get very many opportunities. I don't care how much you scout to get an opportunity to four or five year old deer that happens once maybe twice a year for me if that so i'm just gonna go in and and give another shot kind of you know jump back up on the saddle literally and uh see what happens so that's what i got for this episode it's a long intro here but uh, i had a lot of information to go over um hopefully uh you enjoy this episode it's a great one with chris and dan um, the hundredth episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for listening and, um, enjoy. All right. We're live. Welcome back to another episode of the East meets West hunt podcast. We're sitting here on a nice cold November evening inside the cabin. I'm joined today by Chris Derrick of Sika gear and Dan Harushka. <laughs> is that, I pronounced that right, yeah. Dan? Yep, that's good. I like the emphasis. Yeah. So Dan's here doing some film and photography work on the the trip. Let's uh let's start out with Chris here doing a little bit of an introduction. As Chris has been on the podcast in the past, but let's uh refresh everyone's memory a little bit. Uh yeah, I work at uh Sika Gear. I do the Whitetail product line and um I typically just send bow stuff to break before we actually sell it to anyone else and that's what we kind of work together on so yeah yeah and yeah wait for me to sit there and bash all your hard work and tell you what dreams aren't going to come true (laughs) that's all there is to it (laughs) (laughs) it's true is that accurate mostly 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 yeah, I, I guess I'm putting myself up on a pedestal that I don't need to be standing on. Yeah, but. don't worry. I'll knock you off. <laughs> knock you down. So you came in all the way from Bozeman, Montana to be able to hunt Pennsylvania during the rut. Yes, I did. And I'm having a great time. It's a lot of fun. So yeah. Well, it's, it's a it's it's just a whole new style of hunting and, and um, I think, uh, you know, just actually being able to be up here and I'm, I've never actually hunted this area of Pennsylvania and doing it this way. And, uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, we'll get right back to that topic here in a minute, but I want to get, have Dan give a little introduction to himself. Dan. I'm a fellow Pennsylvanian, um, more of the West coast PA, Northwest Pennsylvania by Pima tuning. Um, do a lot of waterfowl hunting and and whitetail and head out west every every now and then to elk hunt so a little mixture but it it's really neat to come out here and see just the different terrain from where we're at you know i was 
we were talking on the way in, you know, you hunt my property and it's surrounded by either cornfields or bean fields and you come out here and, you know, you're falling off ledges if you take a wrong turn. So it's a little, it's a little different, but, you know, it's still super cool and, and just the way that you hunt is awesome. And I kind of abide by the same rule. I don't really like setting stands and going to them all the time. I like to kind of sneak attack and ninja style and go up and that's what I ended up doing last Saturday and, and tagged out on my first sit. So yeah, hey, not too bad. Yeah, I'll, and, I'll and take you said it. Your kids even picked the stand. They, but I, well, it was Daddy Weekend. You know, the wife was out of town, so I gave them a general direction and they picked it out. And I tell you what, the buck came and stood directly under my stand for about five minutes and walked away. Took a wrong turn and took one to the rib cage. So it worked out. It was, it was a special time, and I've never seen the kids so pumped about a harvest. That's No awesome. matter what it is. Do you mind bringing them here to help us out? <laughs> Dude, I tell you what, <laughs> when <laughs> when that buck was standing under there, I was like, if I, if I could count the amount of times they fell down and, like, rolled around under that stand and were just literally, like, as I was putting a stand up, they were fighting, they were falling down touching everything and i'm like you know what maybe they smell good and that buck was i mean he was eating leaves right under me five minutes and then stood there and looking out in the field walked directly away and like no issues whatsoever so i mean i didn't spray him down with anything before we went out yeah we just drove out on the quad on the path and it was about three yards off the path we did a little oop-de-oop circle and found the tree that my one daughter wanted they wrestled around for a bit so <laughs> it was it was unreal that it actually happened the way it did yeah i can't say that we're gonna mock that i mean chris and i aren't gonna wrestle underneath the tree <laughs> as we're picking let me it set out, your stands so. you guys you know fight about stuff and it might it might work out you never know yeah and dan you also have your own podcast as well I do hp outdoors waterfowl podcast so been in the game for a little bit and it's it's fun it's fun sitting around and telling stories and and learning and and i really enjoy it so yeah you're an og in the podcast world you said you just hit your five-year anniversary five right? years yep yep august 12th was five years and it's been fun a lot of, and the best thing is seeing people you know our our main goal was to bridge the gap between new and veteran hunters and to see people going out for the first time and harvesting ducks or taking their kids out and applying something that they learned from us is like, it's gold. Yeah. That and the relationships that we've formed over it, it's just, it's priceless. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's uh, cool to hear when, when you were saying that I'm like, all right, he, he understands the struggles and everything else that is with it. And been there for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Well, um, so the, I guess the, the purpose of this trip here was for Chris, Chris and I had hunted last year. And if anybody watched the, the quiet place film and the science of sound and some of the recent, you know, marketing videos sick I had for the new fanatic line launch, I was up in Alberta with Chris in in the bow zone hunting last year. And I said, Hey, you should come hunt Pennsylvania with me. Not really thinking that you'd ever do ever would come out and then followed up and you said all right what, what what cabin do i need a book and let's go let's hunt and uh i'm i'm pretty pumped about it i think uh 
I think it's uh, it's, we're only you know a couple days in it, and really you haven't got to hunt a whole lot from doing a lot of the product filming and stuff that we can't necessarily talk about just yet. No, uh, yeah, (laughs) I've I've been able to sit a little bit, and actually the first time I actually truly sat tonight, yeah, turned out. I mean, it was productive, so it was a great set. So we had uh, we had deer. and I can't say that Dan and I, for the times that we've been over there filming pretty much the whole time, have had deer. So I was, I was, I was thinking I was getting back into it. Hey, we saw him when we were walking out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was sure getting ready and to uh, re-experience uh, another uh, bow zone experience where uh, maybe I'd see a deer all week. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was uh, kind of getting worried there. Not gonna lie, but yeah, we. Um, I'm I'm glad that you you had an encounter tonight with a small eight pointer that came by you and everything. So you had a buck in front of you. You didn't shoot it. That was your choice. My job's done. My outfitting is done for the week. <laughs> <laughs> so how small was this buck? He's just out to the ears, basically. Yeah. So Bo's Pennsylvania like, both kind of like shaking their head like, hey, like that was the Bo's buck. like <laughs> he'd have been in the back of the truck tonight. <laughs> that was a PA public land buck. You should have taken it. Yeah, no, I and and I told you going into it. Shoot whatever makes you happy, whatever you wanna yeah. shoot. I've been seeing all the pictures of other people and, and it's definitely got my hopes up. Yeah, that that's that's tough when the way social media is and how you everything's at your fingertips and you see these giant bucks and you're like, oh, why, why am I not seeing this? <laughs> What's well, funny? Every time that we get into a place with service, somebody's getting a text with a big buck on it. I know. It's happened every time, and we've well, we've only got service like three times since we've been here. But that's that's of one of the with. most fascinating things about this area. I did not think there was a place more remote than montana and this place is actually uh, i get better service in montana anywhere i go than here really i mean there's like in town there's no service like in the actual town that we're next to yeah you can't get service you cannot make a phone call unless you're hooked up to the wi-fi for something else around there so i just found that so interesting that they're literally there's no service in the town anywhere or in this whole region there's like yeah. so, it's so spotty because you'll receive stuff and try and send it from the same place that you received it yeah and it doesn't work no it <laughs> like, does not and, and uh well i remember i don't know it might have been even a year ago now chris we were doing some product testing for actually one of the products we're still working on currently and and uh, you're like, just drop it off at your nearest FedEx location. I was like, I don't have one. And you're like, what do you mean? So he looks it up. He goes, you have no FedEx within like an hour and 30 minutes. View. He's like, it's more remote than Montana. I was like, God, I told you. <laughs> you're out here for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's an, it's a unique area. And that's why I, I, I love hunting Pennsylvania. I mean, it doesn't have the world-class whitetails as some other places do, but it's just different style hunting and kind of combines a little bit of the, the Western adventure style with hunting whitetails that, you know, we all love to hunt. So that's that's what, what draws me back to it. Yeah, absolutely. It's very neat. Yeah. So what were your first impressions as far as the the terrain and the just everything about it i mean it's it's what i had in my head i did get a little nostalgic because 
where I'm from in Alabama, we do have a finger of Appalachian Mountains, and our farm property has some pretty big hills on it. Nothing even in you know anywhere close to what we're dealing with here. But it's, I mean, it did remind me a lot, especially where we were sitting today, up on you know kind of a high ridge saddle yeah. with some steep slopes on either side, and and uh, so I, I mean, it's. It, it's nice to be able to get that feeling again, um, just on a different level. So it's just larger format here. Yeah. What about you, Dan? Have you been up this way, you know, much before? We or? used to we used to come out and bear hunt every every now and then in high school. Uh, so it's been it's been a good amount of time. I've never w- w- hunted whitetail out here. Okay. And I've never put in for elk, even though I should. Yeah. For fifteen dollars a year, but I haven't. But we've we've came out. My dad and my brother are both successful bear hunting, and but uh, yeah, it was kind of at the time I enjoyed hunting, but wasn't ate up with it. So when you come from flatlands like Western PA and come out here, and like, man, that's a lot of work. Yeah, you know, especially if you kill a bear, and the first thing you got to do is is drag it up one of those mountainsides. Like, I don't want to do that for for a whitetail. You know, it's not. That was in high school. It's a little different now, and you know, you got packs. You can cut them up and do do all kinds of things. So, a little different, but uh, definitely fun. Yeah, definitely fun. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting, and and I guess I, even looking back on it, that I was kind of the same way with, you know, and now I look forward to the getting the deer out of the woods. Like that whole process is fun. Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. That's my, <laughs> that's my quote I came up with, by the way. <laughs> Chris is over here shaking his head. <laughs> we've had a, we've had a lot of laughs on this trip so far during the, the filming process. And more, <laughs> more bloopers than, uh, than usable information. Yeah. You should, tell them the story you just can't tell them what format but i did get a new grunt call and dan and i are in the stand <laughs> together and he's filming and i just switched over to this one and it's i'll call it a sensitive grunt call it it if you do not everything just right with it and uh so i gave a bit of a a grunt and dan's like hey give a grunt give a grunt <laughs> and somehow the reed got messed up in this thing <laughs> And when I went to go blow the grunt, it just, the sound you made is exact. Straight Peter Griffin, man. Do it again. <laughs> and then he tried to follow it up and it, and it got even worse. It just started for like a second and he stopped it. So it was just like, <laughs> now, <laughs> that, I mean, and this is, you know, one of my first times filming in a in a whitetail stand and i know that the cameraman should never make sounds but that first one came out and i just started i could i lost it i started <laughs> <You're> laughing, laughing. <laughs> oh yeah the footage is great <laughs> that was right on my right face on. hurt from laughing so when, when when we watched it on playback last night i mean literally i got face cramps from laughing so hard it was it was awful yeah talk about embracing the suck that was a true moment right there well then he then he turns around <laughs> the best part is that you were so mad about it you're so angry you turn around got a new grunt call i don't like it at all <laughs> <laughs> i'm sitting there laughing and you're mad i could oh man 
I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I was in the bathroom last night uh, uh, shaving my face, and, and I hear you guys out here just hysterically laughing. Like, just, I was like, what are you guys dying about? And I'm glad you captured it on film. Yeah. And we'll have to hold that over Chris's head, I think. Oh, it was it was a beautiful moment. <laughs> yeah, and then today's uh, filming adventures when I f- fell off the cliff. Mm-hmm. You'll probably post that, huh? Yeah, well, you guys get to see that. Might the, be the show art for this. Congrats on 100 episodes, man. Yeah, this is it. Wow. Actually, we should, yeah, this is episode number 100. It's a big <laughs> deal. This is a big day. Yeah. We should give something away. You think so? Yeah. What are you going to give away, Chris? I think we should give away a fanatic because you were in the fanatic film. So with the fanatic, give away a fanatic jacket. Yeah, with, with you were you were in the film with the silent fanatic. So, all right, we I think make you that can do that. But you have to come up with how you want to give it away because I have no clue. All right, I'll I'll come up with something and I'll I'll add it to the introduction on this here. But I, I have some ideas how we can how we can give that away. But that that would be great. Thanks for for giving that out to everybody. It's been crazy. A hundred episodes in now, uh, Chris. You've been on twice. This is Dan's first time, but it's uh, it's been a ride. Dan's been through it and and told me all about his you know process with the podcast and everything. And I'm uh, excited I made it this far. You're doing a good job. Well, thank you. Here's the next 100, right? There you go. That's all there is to it. So, what? How do you feel now that you're at 100? Because it's a big milestone. Like when you first start out and downloads are small and it's like man is it really worth the time and effort and then you start building and building now it's like man this is pretty cool yeah it it is because at first i mean i guess the first step was just getting myself to do it Mm -hmm. i had the idea in my head for a long time before i actually pulled the trigger because i was just so nervous i'm like who the hell wants to listen to me and chris don't even respond to that (laughs) i I agree (laughs) and so then then just putting it out there like (laughs) (laughs) that was actually his first podcast i listened to it yeah hey guys Oh, it is funny though listening you, back to like the first ones and how nervous I, I was haven't done it talking I refuse to listen to my first episode really yeah because you want to know something when we started we did a we did a trial episode to start so we did like 45 minutes and it was so bad and then my co-host is like all right let's just let's just do it we did it he posted it I've never listened to it never listened nope. to it but it was terrible I don't know Oh, it was better than the test run. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, looking back, I don't. I sh- one day I will probably. Yeah, no. Now it's 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 pretty cool to be able to to see where it's come and and just kind of staying true to the the niche you and I were talking about earlier. When you find a niche in something, you know, sticking with it and and you know, it's it's pretty easy to kind of go down a road of talking about whatever. Mm-hmm. on them but trying to keep it keep it to the the topics that everyone that is you know listening now over time comes to listen to not that stuff that you're not going to hear on other ones yeah how did you know people would be disappointed if you have a uh bass fishing episode yeah you know? 
It's not your thing, so you stay in your stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, you know, I, I think my viewership or uh, would start to drop off a little yeah. bit if I started. You know, straying away from that, straying away from me struggling on hunts and. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I tell you what. Um, I went to college in Elkins, West Virginia, so. The baseball team we had a we had a I guess a few years before I got there, a guy went out and asked permission on a few properties. Well, then every year that guy would take a new person, and as they graduated, the next person would take a next person. Well, my brother was we we went to college together, played baseball together, um, and he was the invite before me. So then he took me out, and this area. It, it doesn't. It's not as steep out there. I mean, some of the hills are as big or or bigger, but it's not quite as steep. When we were scouting, and maybe you can go into it a little bit. I don't know if you want to go into it, but just questions for you. Like we would, the shelves. It seemed like just the layers of shelves, and you would find the hottest sign and set up on that. Even if it was, you know, we hunted from the ground. I shot a couple bucks off the ground in West Virginia just cause you could, you yeah. know? And I remember one, <clears throat> one eight point I shot, we pulled in, <laughs> we pulled into the driveway and it was just a dead silent day. And I look up and there's one tree on the hill, just moving back and forth. So I put my binos up and I was like, there's a buck making a rub on that. Well, we knew the rub line, so my brother and I got it way up in front. Dude, this is a funny story. This is my first buck from from the ground. So we get up in front of this buck, and he comes down this, like, little chute and comes up the other side, and there's a four-point. Well, we're literally, my brother's laying on the ground. He had shot a buck the day before, which that's a great story, too. He got charged from grunting. It came barreling downhill at him. After I sat in the rain all day and he came out for 15 minutes and grunted his buck. But anyway, so he's laying in like these, these bushes and he's going, Dan, Dan, there's a buck, there's a buck. And I'm watching this eight point behind it. Yeah. So this buck comes up and is, you know, maybe 10 yards away and I'm, (laughs) I'm behind this tree that is slanted like a deadfall and I go, I pull back on this eight point and I lean out and I look down my arrow and I would have shot right into the tree right in front of me. So I leaned out a little more and this buck was standing broadside like 20 yards. Dude, I shot and just smoked this buck. My brother's like, what? I, I didn't even see what you're shooting at. I had to lay down. Dude, my heart was pumping out of my chest. Like, I almost passed out. I laid down and like the world was spinning. Like, I've, I've never felt that pumped about something ever so is that kind of how you like you get on hot sign and kind of follow the lead are you looking for food you know kind of what's your what's your style of yeah scouting? So, so like when, when it comes to scouting you know i'm always trying to find the differences with uh train features and vegetation features where i can find edges so anything that's an edge you know whether that be from a vegetation standpoint a clear cut an old clear cut say maybe oaks where it meets hemlocks or pines and trying to find those edges or things i'm looking for from that standpoint and then when it comes to train 
I'm looking at draws, I'm looking at saddles, I'm looking at points, looking at all these different things and kind of putting them in the back of my mind. Um, you know, that's what I'm doing from an aerial scouting standpoint. And then when I get boots on the ground, I'm checking it out in the springtime and marking down these places. But that only gets you so far to when it comes in the season. And I think you guys have seen it a little bit so far here is you know, there's so many different variables that change things, whether it's this year we had, you know, acorns that dropped early that started to rot and some of them got worms in them. And okay, now the deer aren't on the tops in certain areas. Well, you got to find out where they're at. And like you said, you're dropping down elevation points, hitting these benches, things that are still giving you those terrain funnels or vegetation funnels, but they're going to be at a different elevation and it changes. It'll change year to year. It changes week to week, depending on the season and how things go. So it's 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 a lot of adapting, and that's where the mobile style of hunting that we're doing comes into play. If I had fixed stand set up all on the tops because that's what it was doing the year before, and then you guys come in here and we go up there and see zero deer, then it's like you know, and today even we were hunting a spot and it was actually a spot. It wasn't very far from a road, but it was, had some really good sign, promising sign. But all of a sudden I I did not expect this. We had a lot of hunting pressure or some hunting pressure, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, during the middle of the week here from some archery hunters. And I'd noticed when I saw some does, like basically just getting light, they were bedding way down lower than where they normally would. And once the rain started, and I just took a walk down there and started dropping down to some benches and then started getting in a hot sign again. Yep. One thing I noticed uh, tonight when we were watching those does, they're very skittish. Like, it, and the wind was, it wasn't howling. It was blowing a little bit for for a while, but, I mean, they were very edgy, it seemed like. Were you seeing that with the deer you saw? No, mine were all on the move. So the first one... That I saw just came in almost on the truck. I almost thought it was running from something, but then it slowed down and kind of worked its way, sending mm-hmm. where you guys had walked through before. And, yeah. Um, and then the buck just came in on a trot, like just hmm. straight on through and never stopped. Hmm. Must have been the deer drive we were putting on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was wondering. I was like, he said he didn't want to go be on a PA deer drive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was rifle. That was rifle. Yeah. No, but that's that's because the the deer that we had saw tonight they were very skittish. They came out and they had no reason to look anywhere in the direction we were. Nope. And that's and, the first and, thing I noticed. I was like, man, they are edgy right now. Yeah, and they were, and they weren't like say looking at us and picking us out or anything. They were just. Just looking everywhere. Yep, and they're looking side to side. Yeah, anywhere but us, really. A couple of those does kept looking back. I'm like, oh, here comes a buck. Here comes a buck. And there was no buck. But it was just they're they're very skittish for being, you know, mile and a half, two miles back from the roads. Right. It was um that that was definitely something, you know, that, that I've noticed. And in a lot of these areas, I was telling Chris about it last night. Um, this year specifically, I noticed running trail cameras that some of them are really skittish with trail cameras. If you don't set them up right, I always, now I'll take, you know, one stick in and set the camera up high, angle it down for a couple of reasons for bears, other hunters to not see them. And also just to keep it out of the deer's, you know, field of view, because they'll, sometimes they pick them out and they take off from it. 
And it's I, I don't really know exactly why they're that skittish, but I do that. I heard a, a podcast a while ago about deer getting skittish about that and then they totally avoid that area. So I started it's easier for me and our property. I'll drive up with the four wheeler, drive up to the tree I want it on, stand on the front deck of it and and put it up as high as I can reach. So a little, a little easier than hiking back two miles <laughs> and, and sticking it up with a, a stick. But yeah, yeah, I and I've never had one looking at the camera. The good I thing about here, it. I think, too, is you can't check them too much. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when you have your own property, and that's one of the I think uh, challenges for a lot of people is is they set up their cams, but then if they're in there every couple of days checking them, you're essentially just pressuring that spot all yeah. the time. And uh, so I I just, I've seen a lot of people, you know, in our old hunting camp and, you know, would be going in and checking stuff all the time. And yep. it's just, it just changes everything and it, it puts a lot of pressure on the deer. So here, everything's so remote. You, you got to <laughs> want to check them. Yeah. And then. And then two guys you saw on your camera today, I thought were the two most special people that found your one camera. I know. Yeah, yeah, you guys. <laughs> we got some dance moves out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I, those photos are hilarious. I can't wait to pull that SD card and put it on the computer. I just looked it on the little viewer, and I was like shaking my head. Did you see that one doe tonight, that, that tree with, that had the orange leaves on it? She was behind between the two trees, and she kept picking up a a tree limb. She did no, it. Like, I didn't even know she did that. it like forty times. Really? Yeah, I have it on video. Huh. But I'm just like, what is she doing? I don't know if she was trying to get something that was under it, but she kept biting the tree limb and like well, it up off the ground. They'll, uh, especially around here, they'll just they'll eat twigs. They'll eat. That, they the, might have been pulling the bark off or something. I don't yeah. know. They eat just about everything. It seems like that's but, crazy. Like I, I'll notice that when I'm when I'm shed hunting, uh, especially when there's just still a little bit of snow on the ground, you'll find them eating any of the down trees, even when there's not leaves on them to eat. Because you know, like when it comes to logging cuts and stuff, they're eating the tops that they're mm-hmm. not leaving because they have the leaves and everything on it. They'll eat down trees and stuff in the winter time that have no leaves on them, just on the little twigs and stuff they're chomping on them. They're really you know needing food i guess with uh there's no food plots there's no cornfields nothing like that really to 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 fuel them but like i mean a lot of the ones today i was noticing were feeding on ferns that we the ticket today was us finding some older clear cuts that were grown up and deer were bedded in them and then they were feeding in them and just on the outside of them and that again that comes to you know adapting we were hunting some really you know, big timber, oaks, stuff like that. And, and wasn't really finding and just, I mean, again, we've only been here for a few days, so everything, you know, can change and like that, but, you know, switching to a new area, which really isn't that far away from the other ones, just another ridge over and it had different food sources and we sure did find, you know, quite a few deer in it. Lots of traffic. It's yeah. interesting to see them on woody brows so early too. With the, I guess you mentioned the acorns were so poor this year, so I guess yeah. that's what's driving some of that. Yeah, and we we did find some good acorns over by mm-hmm. us. That there was some good ones, but it's not a year where they're completely loaded with them. Which 
you know, there's it's a blessing and a curse at the same time with acorns. It always is, you know, and if there was no acorns and they're completely dependent on that browse and, and everything there, it's just, it's, I guess that's what kind of brings me back to the drive of doing it every year because it's just, no matter what, it just, it, you know, it almost, it just feels a fire in me. Cause I'm like, why can't I not figure these out? And I'm always just trying to figure out what they're doing next and why they're doing it. And it's constantly a struggle, but I guess that's what makes it so rewarding when it, everything actually comes together. And I think we're, I think we're in a good spot, you know, going into this, mm-hmm. this one here. And I'm, I'm going to say it here because I did this, um, when I went on my elk hunt there last month, I recorded a few episodes ahead of time and had them scheduled to release. And every one of them, I said, well, hopefully by this time, while you're listening to this, I'm probably packing out a bowl, <laughs> you know? So hopefully by the time this one releases, we already have a couple bucks on the ground. That you say, hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent success rate. Yep, I said that at gyms. Said that the first three years of elk hunting, and it it happened eventually. Yeah, it's always true at some point. Yes, yes. That's see, it's it's all about the positive attitude, and that's what I'm trying so what to instill. Like we saw a lot of does tonight, and I'm just trying to compare and contrast like Western PA to here. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about? And I guess we could look up deer ratios for what you guys have out here but the bucks to does like i almost feel like we have so many does that the calling and everything is not that effective yeah so i was saying i think yesterday you know i i look for where the does travel and i usually don't hunt before november and when things start to heat up or i hear my buddies talking that they're seen chasing stuff then i'll head out and get into my spots and and find stuff but going back to cameras too this is the first year in a while i i have six or seven cameras on my four-wheeler didn't put them out my dad's not happy about it he wants to know what's around but i was like you know what like just go and like hunt yeah like find find where they're at and and get on them so i don't know but yeah it seems like if i grunt like I have that bleat can, I will bleat a hundred times before I do a grunt call. Just because if some if if there's a hot doe in the area, that, that just seems like the bucks don't unless unless they're fully primed up. But you know, first week of November, I had a grunt call on a on a buck that's chasing a doe and they run away. Yeah, and then I'll hit the bleat and literally they'll do one eighty and come and get shot. so it's like it's and and i you know you're you're i wouldn't say heavy on the grunt but you know you're you're letting it be known that yeah i was light tonight there's a grunt i was very light (laughs) i i am a very heavy caller and the reason is is i mean today we saw a lot of does compared to not seeing many bucks but for the most part the buck to doe ratio is very good there's a, a lot of bucks per the doe that are out there and which creates a lot of competition. You know, I get on my cameras all the time fighting everything. And that's just in a small field of view. Can you imagine what's, you know, going on out there? I mean, some of the bucks I've shot have, you know, broken tines, everything else. They're sparring a lot. They're doing a lot of, they're aggressive because they're fighting for those few does that are out there. There's not a ton of deer. Like I said, we did see a lot of deer tonight, but that's, 
not really common throughout the, you know, the, the big woods, Pennsylvania region, other areas of Pennsylvania, there's a ton of deer. And I'm sure it's, it's kind of sounds like it's like that where you're Dude, at my road. The one part of my road, I call it Doville. Cause you cannot, you can't, <laughs> you can't drive from my house to the end of the block at nighttime without, uh, if we're spotting or something, you'll easily see 50, 60 deer. Wow. That's 1.1 miles. Really? Like every night. It's, it's crazy. Out all summer long, like my house sits kind of on a hill and there's a road and then, uh, just farm. So it's either corn. Usually the farmer lives right on the other side. So he puts corn all around his house so people don't spot it. Mm-hmm. And then he'll put be he'll put beans or something in front of my house. So people just creep by at night spotting, yeah. but we'll sit out, we'll sit out in the summertime. There's 30, 40 deer out there. Really? Oh man. It's it's unreal. It's loaded. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's definitely a difference, and I think that that's why the kind of strategies that we've done with the calling is so effective. Cause I, I have uh, a buddy of mine who was on just this week's podcast, Clint Casper. He's out of uh, Eastern Ohio, and he does not call at all. He just doesn't believe in it, and and thinks that they educates the deer and everything. And for me, I, it's the opposite. And a lot of times it's so thick in spots. I mean, not on the Oak ridges and stuff, but when you get in some areas so thick deer could be moving 70 yards from you and you never see it or hear it. And you need to be able to gain, you know, their attention to hopefully bring them over. Does it work all the time? No. I mean, probably for every 120 calls that I do, one of them will come in, but that's one more than I would have had by just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. That's it's like ca- going out west and not bugling. Yeah, right. Exactly. It doesn't. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's the most fun part about elk hunting. Just lighten it up. Yep. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of more of like the the not from a success standpoint, but from a calling standpoint, the Corey Jacobson style mm-hmm. of you know white tails just. <laughs> getting into it and chris was making fun of me for using the bleak call the bleak can he's like you still use those bleak cans like yep yeah i i I guess i wasn't on i'm just i'm on the not big on calling side of the camp but yeah uh, um but i do use it i guess it's where i'm from and Mm -hmm. it i just have maybe a bias against it because it's not as productive where I'm originally from, or it doesn't, wasn't ever very productive for me. So, um, but I've done a lot more here than I normally do, Good. especially with Dan. Like he prod me. Call. <laughs> yeah. Call. Well, see, I like to be, inter- I'm a, you know, duck hunter, goose hunter. I like to have the reactions. I like to call and interact with the animals. So if I can, but yeah, I mean, if I forget my grunt call, that's fine, but I'll be making, I'll be having that bleak can, man. <laughs> Even I'll turn it upside down and blow in the bottom of it and make it a little bit longer. Like, that's how I roll. Honestly, I would say probably nine out of the last 10 bucks I've shot have been called in, specifically coming into a call. And even last year in rifle season, which was December 1st, I shot my first rifle buck in, I don't know, 10, 10 years at least. And uh, I called in with a bleak can. <clears throat> I snuck into an area where there's some bucks bedded and I saw. I heard I heard a doe bleat and I heard a grunt, which was weird for December first to hear that. I was like, "All right, here we go." I had the fanatic pack prototype at the time, and and I 
pulled it out. I have a bleak call in one of the sleeves there, and I just pulled it out, hit the can twice, and he came running full sprint in and shot him head on at like 70 yards. I mean, he was just like in on me and dropped in his tracks, but it was it was uh it was very effective to be able to do that and I, I i just like that that's what i love about the rut and that's why i would consider myself more of a rut hunter because i just love the interaction with the calling and and uh everything so that can be you know it, it can definitely be really effective mm-hmm. in in these types of areas and and you made a good point the buck to doe ratio is a big reason for that yeah yeah if they don't have to fight for it they'll go find another one right? yeah and that's probably partially our fault. We don't shoot a lot of does. It's been a while since we took does off the property, but I always tell people, if you want to shoot does, come on over. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about it. So this is how we can, comp- I might have to hit you up on that. Um, <laughs> if you from does. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can probably, I think, I mean, people usually, <clears throat> when I was growing up and we would send doe tags in, Residents send in first, and then it's a couple of days, and non-residents can send in. Non-residents wouldn't get tags. Now I have some buddies that are sending in and getting three tags. Like there's really? just I don't know if that's because hunter numbers are down or if that's because doe you know doe numbers are up. But either way, I I bet if you look right now, there's probably still doe tags available in one A, <laughs> and we're getting pretty close to rifle. Yeah, that's that is crazy. Around here, that's not the case. Like they still sell out in the first week. It seems like non-residents usually don't even get a chance to to get doe tags. But um, yeah, I remember I lived in one A for a while, so I I had a couple tags when I mm-hmm. was when I was there. But the way I kind of look at the calling scenario is, let's compare it to humans. All right, so <laughs> hey, guy walked. <laughs> A guy walks into a bar, right? And there's 50 women around. And another guy comes up and tries to challenge him for one of them. You might be like, there's a whole bunch of women here. This isn't worth fighting over. Okay? Just go on, do your thing, move on to the next one. If you go into one of the bars, maybe in the area we're at right now, and there's one woman there and about six guys testosterone start to flow a little bit and people are a little more apt to to mm-hmm. get into it yep and it's, it's just the kind of the same same scenario like when it goes with elk um there was something that again going back to Corey jacobson he told me he's like if you you know he goes if you yell at someone from across the bar and you say hey i'm gonna fight you and you keep saying that as you're walking over they have a ample amount of time to remove themselves from the situation. But if you get right in their face and say, I'm going to fight you, then you it's a fight or flight type scenario. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a similar thing with whitetails here. At least the way I look at it. Get them close and bark at them. Get them. <laughs> or just go. <laughs> <laughs> I thought. I think it's good to be the weak one in the bunch because then they come in, they're like, hey, easy pickings. Yeah, exactly. They're like, all right, all right we'll wipe him that's out That's the quick. Urkel buck. I'm going to go after him. <laughs> Speaking of easy pickings, he picked a tick off himself today. So make Yeah, sure I wasn't expecting tick. I wasn't expecting that. I was like, I looked down, I was like, there's a stinking tick on me and it's cold. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have expected that whatsoever. 
get the stash broom out and <laughs> make sure there's nothing hiding. <laughs> All this fact that I asked Chris, I said, hey, would you mind checking me for text? And he said, no. What kind of friend is that? Not a very good one. Dan, I know you'll help me out. Dude. Yep. Up in the yes. upstairs bunk. <laughs> up in my up in the squeaky bed. Yeah. <laughs> our, so our cabin. It's it's really funny because so thought would be ever nice starting guy. to question you too. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah there's there's good reason too, but uh, when we got the cabin here, Chris like I'll I'll go upstairs and sleep. I was like, no, you have the the bedroom downstairs, the one that's all by yourself. You know, you take that. He's like, all right, well, thank you. So Dan and I were like, we'll share the upstairs <laughs> loft. What we didn't Which realize, there's like seven beds up there. Yeah, there something. is. And what we didn't realize was Chris gets zero heat in his room, <laughs> and we get ample amount of heat. So we're <laughs> we're up there hot as hell, and we come down bitching about the heat, literally sweating. I've got my fanatic hoodie on. I'm coming out. <laughs> yeah. I'm like. It's freaking cold in here, guys. You're like, man, we're burning up up there. Chris is thinking out how to design some sleepwear. For yeah. Second year. <laughs> yeah, and every time Dan rolls over, I hear above my head. It's just. So he was a good guy. You know, he'd move to one of the other six beds. But <laughs> nope. I thought about it last night, but I was pretty tired. So <laughs> it's maybe, your last maybe night. Maybe I will tonight. Now, so. Maybe I will tonight. I'll move over. <laughs> Sleep on the other side of the bed. I had clothes on there, though. No excuse. There are six other beds. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nice place, though. It is. This place is nice. Looking at, you know, elk and muleys. Bobcats, beavers. Yeah, squirrels. We got- they wet. There's some Boone and Crockett squirrels in these woods, too. We had them running around all morning. Yep. And they all sound like the next 30-point buck coming through the woods. Yeah, they're very much more sounding tierish than... uh Gray squirrels. Yeah. Like, you can tell a gray squirrel says, yep. and, uh, yeah, these, these suckers sound like, uh, they got some <laughs> weight to them. Yeah, they, they've been, they've been putting on some weight. They got some age to them. They're, they're definitely trophy class animals. That is, I mean, that's a, that's a couple of meals right there. Yeah. <laughs> that one that's mounted above us. Yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely right. It is. That's like a large cat-sized squirrel. <laughs> yeah, they're they're all over the place, especially in the oaks and and acorns there. And I, you gotta love when they start barking at you and doing everything else and alarming everything else in the area. So, when you had your dad on, he hadn't taken his buck yet, right? No, he had not. He we Are released the episode, and then he uh, he killed his buck like two days later. And it was a slammer. It was. Do you have a story on that? Yeah. So he, um, and it was actually funny because he kind of called it out exactly how it was going to happen in the podcast. And it wasn't that he was like saying, oh, I'm going to kill one this way. He was just talking about what his strategy was going to be going forward for the week. And so in a lot of, some of the other areas we hunt similar where where he's at, isn't as steep as where we're hunting right now. And as you come into some of the creek bottoms, a little bit more shallower, but it creates funnels for the deer to run during the rut. They got water there. The does seem to bed closer to the water down in some of the the bottoms a little bit and found a big community scrape. He's a huge scrape hunter and big community scrape. He set a stand in a, a tree about 20 yards off the scrape, main travel routes coming down the creek bottom. And he was sitting there 
a cold front came through temperatures dropped like i actually like 35 degrees overnight that was yeah and we had was, like a 25 30 degree drop too and had 60 mile per hour winds the night before i mean it was nasty and and it was still windy that morning but it things had you know calmed down compared to before and he was sitting there and he he didn't think that he doesn't think that he called it in he had some calling sequences but um he said it was probably like 15 minutes afterwards so it just came down cruising down to the creek bottom and it stopped on its own he never had a stop at anything and was able to put like a 23 yard shot on it so nice. yeah and it was so does his, he do the hang and hunt type deal too uh not as much so he he's still in the he still likes to use climbers so it's still mobile hunting but he uses climbers a lot and just this this past year he bought uh i think he bought a xop stand and lone wolf sticks and is starting to get into the, that method of it um but for the most part he's using climbers or he's hanging hang-ons you know that we have two weeks before the season you could put them out and he's hanging like 12 mm-hmm. to 15 stands but i was telling him i was like dad you can save a lot of time and energy by having to put up all these stands and pull them down and yep. and go through that by by doing it and especially one thing that i learned up at jim's place last year is when you leave stands out even if it's for a few months and temperature change stuff they start to get creaking noises they popping noises remember my dad when he used to let me hunt his stands <laughs> before he banned me from doing that and uh I hunted one of his stands that was in his hemlock tree and it was really cold that morning. Every time I'd shift my weight to one side, it'd be like pop, just this loud, Mm -hmm. you know, noise. And that's what happens from them sitting out where with the way, you know, we're doing it here with either a saddle or utilizing the, you know, the hang on stands. It doesn't really do that, but. And even the, I mean the, like the lone wolf with the sticks, like you guys have, a lot of straight trees with no branches on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get up and if you wanted a climber and it, it, there's so many areas back home that if you went in in the dark and you wanted to be in a certain area, you're looking for a while to find a tree that you can get up 15 feet even in a climber. Yeah. So, I mean, once I got into it a bit and I was like, man, I need a, a lone wolf just to get up in these places. And then you can, you know, you're hidden well and yeah, you can go wherever you want. Yeah. You can pick whatever tree. Yep. That's what's, what's cool about it is like, there's some spots that I killed my buck out of a few years ago. I was only, I don't know, 10, 11 feet up in the air, but it was a way that the tree I needed to be in for this spot and it, it provided me enough cover. I didn't need to go up really high, but if you go on again, going back to these big oak ridges and stuff, you kind of need to get higher, have a double or triple tree to kind of hide you a little bit. I felt like I was about five feet off the ground today. Well, you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you you were, you know, say 20 feet up, but you were down below me on the <laughs> yeah. hill. So, yeah, I was looking down at Dan, and he was watching the deer. All, all they could probably <laughs> see is his eyes. <laughs> These deer walking right at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Oh, we were talking about shots, and you're like, yeah, it'd be really cool to get some of him, you know, in the saddle from up above. And I'm like, I'm like ten feet below him. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is fun. Yeah, <laughs> which that's been something that 
I do want to touch on a little bit here is um, my experience with using a saddle for the first time. Um, Chris, you're going to start using one tomorrow, it sounds like, or maybe even the next day, just start practicing with it. And um, the learning curve for using one, it was very simple to figure out and get it set up and get in the saddle. But it took me, you know, I'd say two or three different sets of, you know, a couple hours at a time to really get what's comfortable for me. And from what I've gathered with watching videos online and stuff, everyone's got their own preference with it, but it's been, it's been good. I think I did one straight dark to dark set and another one that was another eight, nine hour shift. And it's been, it's been really good so far. That's one thing I noticed. I was, you know, I'm sitting there filming you and watching you taking pictures and I was like, my legs hurt and he looks pretty comfortable. Yeah. Cause you can, I mean, it's not like your movements are sit to stand. Like you'll kind of melt into the tree if you're uncomfortable. And then, you know, you have the kind of the back pad. You can just kind of sit back if nothing's going on. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I got this camera on me, but I need to stand up for a second because my knees hurt, you know? Yeah. It just seems like a, like, you know, I know your concern was the blood flow. Like, how does it feel after a whole day sit up there? And he said that hasn't been an issue. So No, that was, that was one of the things, and I'll spend some more time in it. But it seems to, I mean, there's definitely some pros to it. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's some cons. But I, before, God, I want to spend a little bit more time just even here, set up in one of these and practice shooting into the block. Um, just, yeah, I just want to be exp- very comfortable, very confident going into it before I actually try and take an animal from from a saddle. Yeah, because it's you different pitch angles. At the gym. What's that? Before you pitch at the gym to see if he'll let you. Use we'll it see. In the we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I mean, if you think about it, what's one of the most uncomfortable parts about archery hunting is when you stand to shoot and you're con- even if you stand and you're looking through your binos. And you have your harness on your back, but you're still free floating, right? You have a little stand and you you can get a little push of wind and you kind of feel a little weird. But when you have that harness on you and you know that you're not going anywhere, like that has to be a little more comfort than just standing there and being able to to go a little bit. You know what I mean? It is. But it, it definitely took me a little bit to uh, trust it. Mm-hmm. Like, even though there's no reason not to, but just the, the standpoint of leaning out, you know, with all your weight against something to hold you there was, was different. And one of the big things that has helped out was, um, just throwing on knee pads, started using those today. And Chris, you picked up a whole bunch of different knee pads for us to try to see what works out. I had one hard one on my left. I had a soft one on my right knee or just kind of you know, flopping back and forth. And it's been, it's been cool to, to get to use that. And it really, you know, it helps with any fatigue. Say you're, you know, leaning, you're standing up or, you know, leaning into the saddle for a while, being able to almost like you, you uh, described perfectly melt into the tree Mm -hmm. and just have your knees resting against it. That that's a, it's a pretty cool way of doing it. I mean, I definitely have found some areas where I need to, figure it out and I have some limitations and that's shooting to my right and you know it's, it actually you you captured it 
today in the tree. <laughs> I, I always get up in the tree and I practice drawing. I was trying to shoot off to the the right and I went to draw and he's taking photos of me. I couldn't get my bow back. I was just in an uncomfortable position. I was like, all right, I am not shooting a deer if it comes from that angle. I'll wait till it gets by and shoot him right underneath Dan. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right over me. Yeah, right, yeah really. <laughs> but so that that'll I'll be interested to hear, Chris, what your you know thoughts are on it once you get to get to check it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think with everything there's gonna be some pros and some cons and um you know, once we go through it, I'll be able to talk about it, but yeah, I can't give my opinion yet. Yep, I I completely understand that. So, I mean, thinking about Western hunters, if you have, like, trees over wallow or something, and you're sitting there, I mean, to throw that in your pack and be able to, you know, climb up some branches and get in a tree like that instead of having a stand, mm-hmm. like, that would be pretty legit in it some areas. Be. Yeah, I think that would be. I've never, I've never stand hunted in the West. I don't know if you have over wallows or anything did. like that. Have I, you? Yeah, I did this year. Did it? Yeah. What was that experience like? I mean, it's like deer hunting, except yeah. it, you're, you know, you're going to see fewer. So uh, that that's the only difference with it, you know. Unless just, you're hunting in just, <laughs> just come back to PA and hunt in the back of this cabin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've when we pulled up. And I saw that elk, and I was driving over, and I was like, I was pretty impressed with the one I saw because he had like deep, like swooping, like I mean, it was like I was like, wow, that is a great looking animal. And I showed him to you guys saw in the picture, and you were like, yeah, that's nothing for around here. And then <laughs> Dan and I were driving out, and we saw a machine, yeah, laying down, He's just chewing his cut. Tank. Yeah, he was a tank. <laughs> I was like, that is that is a mammoth. Yeah. So what I was thinking is, uh, it will, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep all the sick of gear talk and all the product based stuff out of this podcast. And when Chris and I will do another one that we'll release at a to be determined time frame whenever we're allowed to do that. But there's some exciting things that I, I can't wait to talk about as, as Chris is, you know, has, uh, been nice enough to include me in and helping with you know, some of the field testing of it and giving feedback. And it's been, it's been a cool, cool experience. I'm glad to see this trip kind of be the, you know, the final testing phases of it. And yeah, we're doing it. I mean, we've been working on it together, I think for two years now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been so a little over two years. I remember when you gave me the call of it, cause it was actually when I met you at the ATA show. And that was one of the things that I brought up was, a couple of these features and and products and and you're like well i'm you know working on something like that would you like to help out with it and i was like hell yeah that's you know that's right up my alley i love i love it and and i'm i'm really excited with it and we've got to put some things through the ringer this week yeah i mean i would have done it last year but i just didn't feel like it was ready so it was push and and uh push it onto another year wait till till you got it right before you do it so yeah that's that's important. So it, the good thing is we don't feel the pressure to do it right away if we we're gonna wait till it's right before we release it. So yep, cool. I think that's a cool part. Even for my like, I've done product testing on waterfowl gear, and you know to come in and be on this side of it and watching you guys do it and be like, 
uh, this, this might be better if we change this or this needs, you know, this might need reinforced or whatever it is. It's just cool to be able to capture that and see you guys working on it. And then, like you said, the, the no pressure thing, because, I mean, if you put something out that breaks right away and then you have a whole, you know, mass production deal that you guys have your hands full and customer service is getting swamped. And so yeah. to really put it through the ringer and, and even push it beyond what it's supposed to be doing just to make sure it's it's ready to go is you know it's what makes it great yeah i mean think about so for example bow companies they have to put out a new product every single year that's got to be tough when you have issues and being able to do that with sicka i mean it's, it's two three years out on things i mean you've told me things you know that you're working on down the pipeline and it's just unbelievable how far down it takes and so that's like you said we'll we'll get into some more detail on that on another episode but i think uh i think this was a good one here i'm glad dan this is your last night in camp so we'll miss you fortunately yep it was fun yeah we had a lot of laughs i'm glad you're you uh came in at the the last minute to save the day yeah i I'd much rather do this kind of work than my regular work. So yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, no, it was good. I I appreciate being involved and definitely had a had a great time. So cool. Congrats again on a hundred, man. I know what it takes to get there. So keep plugging and you know, content is king. Yeah, quality content is king, and and you got it down pat. So keep it up. Well, thank you. I I, I do appreciate that. Chris, do you have any final last words here? No, I'm just, I'm happy to see you hit 100. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate Chris, one, that. One more grunt. One more grunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't well, wait. We should have had the audio oh. file ready to roll on this. Just ready to go. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's like a song. It's become it our anthem this week. It oh, it has. That's great. Yeah, good good camp camaraderie is always a always a good thing, and it always makes those three thirty a.m. wake ups easier. Which I'll be all by myself doing that tomorrow. I'm doing videos tomorrow. I don't have to wake up early. Yeah. I wait till the sun comes up. <sighs> all right. Well, with that being said, yeah. I think we'll uh, put a closing on this episode here. So let's thank- get undressed and go to bed. <laughs> 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 it is hot up there. <laughs> I'll take all your layers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it would come down and Chris is dressed in the fanatic suit in his bed. <laughs> Man, take your boots off. Yeah. It's cold. Uh, all right, guys. Well, th- again, thank you very much for coming on here and uh, spending the week with me here and in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Cheers, brother. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.